This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, 6 a.m. on Thursday, the 8th of September. Good morning. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. Together with Wong Xiaoning, we are The Morning Run. Good morning, Kuala Lumpur, and all those who are tuning in from the World Wide Web. Indeed. It's Thursday, as I mentioned, and we're this much closer to the weekend. And as Phil was saying, this is that lone full work week that we have. We have a shorter work week next week. Is yes, it because yes. of Malaysia Day at the end of the week? I know. I'm looking forward to it. September 16. It's a very important day. A very important day indeed. Xiaoning's giving me that meaningful look because she's also a Malaysia Day baby. Oh no, you've outed me. So it's always a holiday on her birthday. That's, that's a fun thing to look forward to. Yes, definitely. It gives me an, ex- an excuse to go on a v- vacay. As if we need more excuses, but you know, why not? Uh, all right, we have a jam-packed show for you today. A lot of interesting topics lined up. Uh, at 7.15, uh, there's a saying that goes, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade. But if that lemon comes in the shape of a defective used car, then the only thing that's usually squeezed is a whole lot of frustration for the buyer. And that's my saying, because we're going to be talking about lemon laws and how that um could protect, better protect consumers in the auto market. Here, we're going to be speaking to auto journalist Daniel Fernandez. Interesting, interesting. Uh, and then at 7.30, Apple actually just launched the latest iPhone 14. And that was just literally a few hours ago. Plus, I understand some very, very sophisticated uh, I well, you call it Apple, Apple watches, Watch? yeah, yeah, which yep. can tell you when you ovulate and your temperature. Wow, I'm not really sure that I want Apple to be doing that, but hey, I, I mean, I suppose it will be attractive for some people. Indeed. Yes, and considering that the iPhones are 50% of Apple's revenue, what does this then mean for earnings? We're going to find out with Dan Ives of Wetbush Securities. Now, despite Apple being really strong, its share price has dropped, I think, at the double digits uh, on a year-to-date basis. So yeah. whether this is going to be enough to boost it up or it was it's really going to be a test on how investors feel about the stock for the long term. Yeah, but it did it did close up, I think, 3% uh, yesterday, uh, well, last night. So we'll find out whether this is going to actually boost earnings in the longer term. Okay, and then at 7.45, we all heard the announcement from Health Minister Kairi Jamaluddin yesterday. He announced that masking will no longer be compulsory in most public sectors settings. There are some exceptions like public transport and in healthcare facilities. But we are going to get reactions on this policy from Dr. Vinod Balasubramaniam of the Jeffrey Chia School of Medicine and Health Sciences. So we're going to have all this and more today on The Morning Run. Stay with us, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, that was Blondie with Sunday Girl. I mean, chiming in with the vibes of the weekend as we were talking about earlier. And before that, you also heard the last shadow puppets, Calm Like You. You. You're listening to The Morning Run with me, Shazana Mokhtar and Wong Xiaoning. 6.08 a.m. on Thursday, the 8th of September. Now, I'm just full of sayings today, so I'm going to trot out another one. The saying goes, curiosity killed the cat. And I think it's mostly used to stop curious children from being mischievous or meddling in places where they're not supposed to be in. But there's actually a latter half of that saying, which goes, but satisfaction brought it back. So this is more of in oh, nobody mentions the second part. I know, right? Because the first part is just so catchy on its own. But satisfaction brought it back. And don't forget, cats have nine lives. So it's very apt to link this to the article that we're looking at this morning from the BBC, which puts forth that being curious can drive success in the workplace and in life in general. 
I so love this article. I picked it because I think at uh, at BFM we are an, a, a very business focused station. We're very curious about all things that go around the world. We cover the latest stories, the latest headlines, local politics, social, economic, and I think generally everyone here that works at BFM is a hundred and ten percent capo. <laughs> and being capo, capo is the way to go if you're in a news media outlet, right? Because right. you're always looking for for interesting stories, interesting ideas. You know, you're, you're, you're just wondering about the wider world and in, you never stop to think, hey, how does that work? How come? Who told you that? Mm, could this be something we want to let list our, our listeners know? I'm interested. Wouldn't they be interested? Those are the thoughts that go on in my head like every day, at least like... 10, 15 times a day. So I think that's the point of media organizations, right? In a way, being curious is part of our jobs. We are meant to inform the public about things that are interesting or important to know about. So in that sense, uh, curiosity is ingrained in this particular industry. I am wondering, though, whether curiosity, whether curiosity is used in the same way in other fields. What do you think, mm. Shaming? Well, in my previous life, I think also I was paid to be curious, right? So in, in investments, you're always curious about the nature of an industry. How, what are the mechanics behind it? You know, what are the catalysts for growth? What are the policy issues surrounding that industry? Then, you're, then it, you bought, you'd kind of distill it to the companies that you cover, right? So how, who runs this company? What's the track record? Have they been able to deliver on earnings? What are the risks? What's the competition? So those are the things that I'm always curious about. And I like to do channel checks, right? So it's not just asking that company specifically, but everything around it. So let's say it's a consumer you know, consumer company. When I go to even like a supermarket, I'll look and see where are their displays? What are the products that they have? Do I see people buying it from the shelves? Those are things that just keep me going. I'm just a honestly a very capable person and I don't hesitate to ask sometimes so I could be somewhere and then I'll just ask the 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 supermarket shelf stalker hey this product very popular a lot of people buy it so do you have to do a lot of discounting why do people buy them is it only if you give promo price yeah that's the level of caponess I am at so in a way, then, Shaoning, you'd obvi- you're obviously the beneficiary of many benefits of being curious, as yes. the article lists out. So various studies have shown that people's curiosity can predict their academic success independently of IQ. So I'm curious about maybe you were a straight A student back in school because of uh, all this. I wasn't a bad student. And, you know, I think what I would say there is one downside with the availability of Google. Uh, you can actually go into a rabbit hole that you can never come out from, right? Because you type something and you're curious about, let's say, uh, how is gelatin derived from? You know, what makes gelatin? And my goodness, three, you know, half an hour later, you're still on the topic of gelatin. Like, you know, it comes from this sea creature. There's the vegetarian type. There's the non-vegetarian type. You're like, whoa, are you going too far, woman? So yeah, Google has enabled my curiosity to go to a new level. Pros and cons of the World Wide Web, indeed. The article points out that those who are highly curious about a fact, they were 30% more likely to recall it, which explains why you always remember all these weird facts about things like gelatine. Yes. Uh, The article also says that curiosity can increase patience and creative problem solving as well. I don't know about the patience bit because you all know how impatient I am. Uh, But I think problem solving definitely because you create a structure in which you try and find an answer for something. And then you also, maybe patience because you don't always get the answer straight away. It does require a little bit of searching and a little bit of digging around. But I think being curious in life also opens doors to 
knowledge to ideas. Sometimes even being curious allows you to make friends in its own weird way because you strike up conversations with people that later on become friendships. Absolutely. I wonder, Shani, what do you think? Is curiosity something that can be trained or is that a, a, a personality characteristic that's innate in individuals? I think a little bit of it is innate and then it has to be encouraged. Mm-hmm. Courage from young where there are no wrong questions and you are entitled to ask any question you want, like why does the uh, why do we rotate around the sun? Why does the earth rotate around the sun? What causes tides? These are questions children ask, and and I think they should be encouraged because then it leads to a lifelong quest for answers. And you don't always get them, but that journey is fascinating in itself. I do hope that educators out there are listening to this because I wonder whether our Malaysian education actually uh, encourages that type of deep questioning or free-flowing questioning. But, you know, tell us what you think. Are you curious? Not Kepo, as Shoning says. Kepo, if Kepo. anyone calls you Kepo, just go, I'm curious. Uh, you know, you can WhatsApp us your thoughts at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. It's 6.14am. We're heading into some messages and we'll come back with a discussion on road traffic safety. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. That was Lou Reed with New Sensations. You are listening to The Morning Run, 6.21 a.m. on Thursday, the 8th of September. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning. Now, I saw a tweet yesterday from medical luminary Professor Adiba Kamaruzaman that cited road traffic accidents as the sixth leading cause of death in Malaysia. So I found this article on Bloomberg fascinating. It looks at how Japan has acted over the decades to make their roads safe. Back in the 1960s and 70s, Japan had an incredibly high traffic mortality rate. But today, they have a record of 2.24 deaths per capita. For comparison, compared to the US, the US has 12.7 deaths per capita. So I dare not ask what is our number. Well, I don't know that either. But I can give a comparison in that. I think Japan in 2021 had about 3,000 road traffic deaths, whereas Malaysia had 7,000 in 2020. So they are significantly lower than us in terms of road traffic safety. Okay, WHO says it's 4.27% of total deaths for 2020. So lower than the US, but still higher than Japan. So Japan is that benchmark for road traffic safety. And the article in Bloomberg lists down all the factors that contributed to this very good uh, traffic safety uh, record. And one big factor, I guess this is really the main one, they've actually worked over the years to reduce the number of road users, um, firstly through the introduction of a sophisticated train network. We're all very familiar with the Shinkansen, the bullet trains. The best. Comes on time, leaves on time, arrives on time, super clean, not cheap, not cheap but a very nice way to travel across the country. And everybody uses it. It's very widely used. And also, they've just made it uh, difficult to own and operate a car. They've got uh, rules against curbside parking, for example, which, which, which just makes it more fun for mm. people to buy cars and own cars, right? So yeah. they would opt for the train. Yes. Uh, do, you, do you know, fun fact, in Japan, if you bought a car, you need to prove that you have a place to park it. Ah. So And you can't just park it anywhere you want, right? You actually need to have a designated car park spot. It's like having a pet almost. You need to show that you can take care of it. And yeah, have a it's house not just for, for Christmas, right? <laughs> so in Japan, automobile owners must obtain what they call a Shako Shome Show or garage certificate, showing that they've secured a place to store the vehicle overnight 
at their residence or in a parking garage since you cannot leave it on the street. Right. So they they regulate these types of um, what you call that facilities, yeah. So in that, that in a way helps also to um, keep down the number of cars mm. that are being used in the cities and places. Another factor that the article pointed out was that a lot of them use a mini car. Um, I, when I saw a mini car, I'm thinking like, do you mean like our Myvis, our something our like that? Maybe yes, but- yes, very similar to that. It's called a K car, which I've driven in Japan, and they are super duper cute. They're like 500 cc. Uh, some of them are like 500 cc that's like a book yeah it's really tiny at 500 800 you can get hybrids out of it because you also want to consider the environment right so you want low carbon emissions you want it to be cheap to run you also want to encourage electricity and you want electric vehicles a form of it these are the early days i'm sure now they are just fully high they are those which are fully 100 electric and they are perfect for just going from A to B in the city and they park really, really easily. I love them. I drove, I purposely chose one because they were just super adorable. <laughs> super duper adorable. So that's another reason why um, I guess road traffic deaths are low. Also, I guess if you get hit by one of these mini cars, it may not be as fatal as if you get hit by like, say, a, a 10,000 pound truck or something, right? Yes, for sure. And finally, the third point that they uh, said contributed to this uh, good record is really a culture that emphasizes road safety education and a community rules-based order where everyone has this implicit agreement that they will safeguard um, you know, children and, and other pedestrians on the road for collective good. Um, so I've, I mean, I, I think that's such an interesting um, facet of Japanese culture, the fact that they have this, uh, you, you might call it a social contract of sorts, that they do, you know, that they're able to have this uh, in effect. Well, it's so many components, right? So we've listed all the components, but they all go hand in hand. And it's a combination of a few things. One is a policy-driven initiative, right? So you have this train system where it's seen as a necessity. You want to connect A to B within Japan in a short space of time, and the government is willing to spend the money to build that infrastructure. Albeit it's not cheap in terms of usage, but it definitely is has economic consequences which are positive, also good for the environment. Then secondly, you have other policies where you discourage car use. So you've got things like petrol prices are expensive in Japan, parking is expensive, you need to prove that you need to own a car. Then you allow these K cars, which are small cars, and probably there's some form of subsidy, you're cheaper to run, cheaper to buy, taxes are lower. So you've got these policies in place, totally discouraging car use. Then you have a culture where people accept, walking is good for me, I should cycle to places. There's really no excuse to buy a car unless I really need to. And then people abide by the laws, right? Because you need to ensure that people drive within their speed limits, that they follow traffic signs. So many components go towards this safety on the roads. It's not just one or the other. It's really all working together in tandem. Yeah, so for me... I think, do we have that in place? Do we, should we consider all these multi-factors? And does anybody really do so? Because otherwise, we'll never have a program in Malaysia called All, all Enough, like which, which is in Japan, where you have these three-year-olds walking to run errands. I would never. Nobody would ever <laughs> no. do it here, right? Because you'd just be wondering whether A, your kid will be kidnapped or B, will be knocked down by a car. 
our, our roads are just way too big for ki- little kids to cross it on their own. Uh, but tell us what you think. What do you think would make a difference to improve road traffic safety in the country? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio 628 in the morning. We're heading into the 6.30 a.m. news bulletin. Taking it to the news is the Beatles with Drive My Car, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. That was the XX with Crystallized. You are listening to The Morning Run with Shazana and Xiaoning. 6.40 a.m. on Thursday, the 8th of September. And it's that time of day where we take a look at what's making headlines around the world. I think at the moment, a lot of it is on really Apple and the latest offerings that they have in store following their launch of the Apple iPhone 14 today. Yeah, and we'll be talking to Dan Ives from Wetbush Securities at 7.30 about the latest technological innovations coming out of Apple. What does this mean actually for earnings and of course share price? So do tune in. That's going to be interesting. Uh, But so far we seem to have... We'll give you a little bit of a snippet in terms of what the prices are like. Uh, this, of course, coming from Soya Chinchao. It's apparently the official prices. And although we are supposed to be covering international stories, it is international, it isn't is an it? It is international story. But for you who want to buy it, it's going to be available from 16 September onwards. You can pre-order it on the Apple Store. Uh, or you can also go to the respective telcos where I'm sure there'll be different packages. But just to give you a gauge, if you want the 6.1 iPhone 14 uh, base price, four. 1199 but if you're feeling rich and you want the best that Apple can offer the ultimate best for 6.7 inch iPhone 14 Pro Max only only for 1 1 TB what's that one T- terabytes terabytes only only 8299 ringgit oh that that that's a steal for that kind of technology I, in the palm yeah. of your hand, no? <laughs> I wouldn't know. I probably only use 10% of the phone. Uh, but that's the price list, guys. All right. So well, hurry up, start saving your money, putting it aside for the 16th of <laughs> September. Moving on to other headlines. Now, I know it may seem like I'm a Kim Kardashian stan, but I'm really not. I just find her extremely fascinating. So any headline to do with her, I, I immediately zero in on. She um, is the best, smartest businesswoman that there is out there, okay? Exactly. She has monetized everything to the max. Kudos to her. So the latest news is that she is launching a private equity firm to acquire stakes in media and consumer companies. She's Would you like to buy BFM? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe... Kim Kardashian, this is our pitch to you. Um, She's setting up a firm called Sky Partners. It's in collaboration with reality TV star turned business mogul. Um, Oh, sorry. She's the reality TV star and business mogul. She is in partnership with Jay Sammons, a former Carlyle Group executive. So it's going to be interesting to see where she decides to invest in with this PE firm. She's got 329 million Instagram followers. That's just on Instagram, not counting other uh, social media platforms that she may have. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it. according to the Financial Times, this is really reflecting the increasing financial sophistication of her particular generation of entertainers, because that's what she is. Yeah, she's a celebrity entertainer of sorts. Yeah. I mean, what would you define her? She's never made a movie, right? Or she's, she has a reality maybe TV Maybe she show. has some cameos here and there. She has a reality TV So. By definition, she's not an actress, but she's really learned to monetize exactly. every aspect of her life. She's got a, a range of uh, clothing products uh, on, you know, available. Um, she's in game apps and stuff. So, yeah, someone who really knows how to uh, market that image and reputation. Okay, I'm going to turn our attention to another person that loves the media. 
and that is, of course, Donald Trump. Now, I think we are all the documents that he took back home, literally, Ma-a-Lago is his home, right? They are starting to like trickle out in terms of what those documents are. So the Guardian is reported has reported that Trump actually stored, reportedly, excuse me, stored nuclear secrets among tro- a trove of highly classified documents for 18 months since leaving the White House. And the Washington Post apparently reported it, describing an unspecified foreign government's defences, including its nuclear uh, capabilities. Basically, he just took home whatever he wanted. That is quite... Um, it's a little bit... Uh I find that very discomforting that uh, he can just take what are confidential, classified, Mm. very important pieces of information (laughs) and keep it in his basement for the past two years after leaving the office, right? No, apparently it was just like available. It was all stacked together with magazines and papers, just left lying around like that. So anyone could just go and pick it up. And yet I saw this little snippet by Jimmy Kimmel asking Hillary Clinton, can you just take stuff out of the White House? And she went... Well, not really. There's a process because it goes to the National Archives. There's a records department. Then they filter out what can and cannot be stored in the National Library. But hey, looks like Trump can, you know, just do whatever he wanted. He just, yeah. he just, there was a process, but he ignored the process. Kind of. And this uh, raid of his premises is really dividing, I think, the U.S. uh, voting public ahead of the midterm elections in November. It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out at the ballot box and whether Trump supporters will galvanize behind him as he's trying to do over the past few weeks. Uh, In any case, it is 6.46 in the morning. We're heading into some messages. We'll come back with a look at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals next. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. 89.9. That was Inside by Skin Shape and Aaron Taylor. You are listening to The Morning Run with Shazana and Xiaoning. 6.49 a.m. on Thursday, the 8th of September. We are taking a look at the headlines in our local newspapers and portals. What's caught your eye this morning, Xiaoning? Oh, an interesting article in the New Straits Times. A little bit of a glimmer into the life uh, of our Prime Minister, Datuk Sri Ismail Sabri. Apparently, uh, he turned down a job, radio job, to study law. So his first job, of course, was a lawyer. Uh, He said that there's a secret that he wanted to share. And the first job that he was actually offered after school was as a radio broadcast assistant with RTM. But he then decided to continue his studies. And actually, um, he then received an offer to study law at UM. But Dato Sri, when you retire and you've had enough of politics, you know what? There's a job waiting for you at BFM. Absolutely. Yeah, you don't even need to apply at careers at bfm.my. Just give us a call. We would love to have you as a presenter. But in in your position as current Prime Minister, we would also love to interview you on our breakfast grill anytime. Our doors are open. Anytime. Either way. Because he was at Media Prima yesterday and he was interviewed by their stations Hot FM and 8FM. And he basically said that he supports Media Prima freedom as long as it does not propagate fake news and his government has not suspended the licenses of any media company or taken action against any of them. Well, those are reassuring words indeed. Uh, And we do hope that the Prime Minister is making rounds across all forms of media. And as Xiaoning said, our doors are always open for you, Datuk Sri. Uh, We hope to see you here at BFM in the not-too-distant future. Tomorrow also can. Anytime. Let us know. 
Well, apart from the prime minister, I think other headlines in the news is all about uh, the health minister's announcement yesterday. Uh, so as of yesterday, effective immediately of around what 4 p.m., 4.30 p.m., uh, the wearing of masks indoors is now optional. So everyone uh, going out to work today is, uh, you know, you have the choice of whether you want to wear your mask in the office moving forward now. Yeah, but there are exceptions, right? I think health facilities is one of them. And it's, you know, it's optional. So if you're not feeling well uh, or you think you want to protect the vulnerable, especially the those who have not been vaccinated because of health reasons, the elderly or children, the key is to actually just keep your mask on because it there the science proves that that's one of the best ways to avoid catching COVID-19. And we have to do our part in society. So I think it's up to you. If you feel uncomfortable, I don't see why you shouldn't continue wearing those masks. I think that's the important point, right? It's mm. uh, it's the mask is optional, which means it can still be worn. Um, please do take the precautions uh, as and when necessary. Yeah, and we will be talking to Dr. Vinod Balasubramanian, excuse me, of the Jeffrey Chia School of Medicine and Health Sciences at seven forty-five. We're going to discuss this topic a little bit more in detail, and also it's you know why are we doing this? What are the benefits? What are the downsides? And I think, you know, is this part of transitioning towards endemicity? We'll have, uh, we'll find answers to all those questions and more. Uh, some more news coming out of uh, Kari Jamaluddin's uh, press announcement yesterday. Uh, the COVID-19 vaccine will be made available for children aged between six months and five years with comorbidities or weak immune systems. And he also mentioned that children aged five to 12 years can now be given the first booster dose as well. So there's some developments there on vaccines for children. And I think that's one of the things everyone's really concerned about because a large swath of the uh, children population, um, they're not vaccinated. So they really are still vulnerable to the worst effects of COVID-19. Yeah. And then I've got other news, which, um, you know, a few days ago, there was a child star, child actor that came out to say that she had shamed her father. Sorry, that she had been a victim of sexual abuse by her father. And she had done so, I think, on social media. It was on, her, on a radio interview, actually. Oh, sorry. Okay, on a radio interview. And then subsequently after that, minister in the Prime Minister's Department for Religious Affairs uh, basically said that she should not have shamed her father uh, in that format. And I think he, the Malaysia Kini is highlighting that he's being lambasted for this. And um, as he should, as he should, because I do believe that it is these kinds of attitudes that keep these very heinous uh, crimes, these very heinous violations in the shadows. Um, and we do not condone any form of violence or abuse against children or anybody, really. Yeah, and I think children who have suffered any form of sexual abuse should be able to come up and make register these issues i mean or basically come out and say this has happened to me in a safe environment and in any format that they want to there is no right or wrong format right or medium if you are a victim please why not the it best, is your right the best interests of the child should always govern how our policy reactions are yeah we think about child protection first not about reputational damage or reputational protection no it's always about the child first exactly and why are we then like worried about the repercussions to the father i mean you know it will be investigated it will it should be investigated and i seriously hope it is being investigated at the current moment uh, other news of course is uh, in the star where najib makes final uh, final attempts to retain his mp seat so of course he's gone for a sort of review of the federal court decision to uphold his conviction he's also applied for a pardon 
so in the meantime, Dewan Rakyat Speaker Tan Sri Azhar Azizan Harun has said that he's been served with notice on the Royal Pardon Appeal on September 2nd, which was within this 14-day period. Uh, and with regards to the Federal Court Appeal, uh, Speaker of the House said he has only read it in the news. But the point is, until it is an outcome is known, he gets to keep his book seat. It's a bit, this is unprecedented, yeah? I don't think we've, we've never seen this scenario come up where a sitting MP and a former prime minister has been convicted and imprisoned uh, for corruption. So we're operating in this new space and it does seem really contrary to the aims of justice if someone um, is allowed to retain their seat despite these convictions. Yeah, because I wonder whether in places like United Kingdom, whether... MPs will actually resign if they're convicted. Usually when there are charges filed against them, the resignations already begin before that because they'll say they want to clear all charges. And not distract from the process of governing the nation. Uh, And also from the governing of that constituency, right? Because you want an MP who's 110% focused on that constituency. All right. Well, in Malaysia, humility and hubris. What's missing, really? 6.56 in the morning. We're going to head into the 7 a.m. News Bulletin next. And then after that, we'll check out how global markets closed overnight. Taking you to the news is Van Halen with Jump, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.